When I talk about the value of sustainability or the value of ESG, it comes down to that employee attraction and retention Surveys have clearly shown that 70 plus percent of employees are looking for companies that are more sustainable and better stewards, more responsible to society. Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is the Climate Confident podcast, the number one podcast showcasing best practices in climate emission reductions and removals. And I'm your host, Tom Raftery. Don't forget to click follow on this podcast in your podcast app of choice to be sure you don't miss any episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Climate Confident Podcast. My name is Tom Raftery. And before we start, I just wanted to remind you that if you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast to help me continue creating informative and engaging episodes, please visit the podcast support page either by going to the website of the podcast, which is www.climateconfidentpodcast.com, or simply by clicking on the support link in the show notes of this episode. You can make a small donation starting at just three euros a month. That's less than the cost of a cup of coffee, but it would really help me. Now, with that out of the way, on with the show. And today I have my special guest, Bridget. Bridget, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Tom. My name is Bridget McAdoo. I am the Chief Sustainability Officer at Genesis. We are a SaaS cloud contact center company that is based in the Bay Area. I am located in Washington, D.C., but happy to be here with you today. Okay. And in your role as the Chief Sustainability Officer of Genesis, well, let's take a step back. First of all, how does one become the chief sustainability officer of an organization like Genesis? Because it's not something that I guess has been on the university curricula for very long. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I would like to say it was purposeful here at Genesis and it, it was a top down approach. So our CEO, Tony Bates, and our chief strategy officer, Peter Graff, had a conversation about where they wanted to take the company and what vision they have for the company, a company that is based and rooted in empathy and creating empathetic experiences for our customers. And it also was lucky for me that, you know, our chief strategy officer had been a CSO in in a prior life at a, a very large company. So he knew that this was an integral role in us moving that forward. So when they cr- created the position and I and I ended up meeting both of them, it just seemed like a perfect harmony. It gave me the opportunity to marry both my personal and my professional values. But while this was a very purposeful one, I think most companies don't get there that way. Mm-hmm. Chief sustainability officer roles are usually come out of crisis or out of a requirement, like a regulatory requirement. So I love it when it's a company that's actually looking at the ethos of the company and saying we're missing something. And what we're missing is something that's going to drive our values and our culture in a more responsible and sustainable way and creating roles. I don't care if they call it sustainability, impact reputational risk. There's all types of different titles, but the role is absolutely needed. Okay. And I should in, you know, I should declare up front that I do know Peter, Peter Graf. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. So I'm ex-SAP as well. 
But right. we, we were in SAP at different times. So Peter was Chief Sustainability Officer for SAP from, I want to say, 2008 to around 2015, more or less. Yeah. That kind of ballpark. Yeah. And I was an analyst at the time and interacted with him several times over that, had some meetings with him, lovely guy. And then he left and I joined SAP 2016 and I left just a few months ago. So it's, yeah, it's, it's he's, he's a lovely guy. He, he was the one who came out with SAP's messaging, if I remember correctly, saying that mm-hmm. SAP would be an exemplar and an enabler. That was, yes. I think that was his messaging. So absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Great. And it's, and it's fantastic for me to have such support and understanding within the organization. It helps me to, you know, he helps me block and tackle in places and, and, and I don't have to do it often because we are truly, we're, you know, our leadership is truly committed to it, but, you know, it's just always fantastic when you have leaders across the organization who are just as committed as you are. Sure. And for people who might be unaware, just tell us a little bit about the company and what you guys do. Sure. We're, our technology enables businesses to turn transactional, fragmented consumer touch points into personalized and a holistic customer experience. That's what our, so we are on the, we are a SaaS company and, you know, we've had high growth and high success over the past few years. It's been fantastic to see Genesis evolve Mm -hmm. over the past, I'll say three years, four years under Tony's leadership. Okay. And as CSO of Genesis, I mean, what are your big challenges? Well, I think, you know, unlike some companies where you have branded waste or you manufacture something, when you're a technology company and your business priority is to be a cloud company, then, you know, people would say, well, what are you really working on? But we look at sustainability as that holistic integrated approach. So from an environmental perspective, we're laser focused on moving our customers from the traditional on-prem to the cloud, because we know that significantly will reduce our carbon footprint. And it's also one of our business priorities. So those two are, you know, intimately married to one another. Then, you know, we have our goals around, we want to positively touch 1 million lives by 2030. And that's using our product for good. That's using our employees and engaging through our communities. And we have four pillars through our community impact called Impact Together. Then we have our diversity initiatives where we want our workforce to be as diverse as where we work. And so we have initiatives around that. And those are goals that are also 2030. And we're very transparent about it in our sustainability report. Then, of course, availability, compliance and uptime. We want to make sure that we maximize and optimize that at all given times. And so we're looking at everything from the E, the S and the G that we're driving. But those are where we're laser focused, our diversity initiatives, our community and engagement using our technology for good, and then making sure that we continue to reduce our carbon footprint by moving our customers to a cloud and making sure that our buildings are efficient. So we have our new Menlo Park office, our new Galway office in Ireland. Mm. Both have been LEED certified. We're very proud of that. And we'll continue to right size our footprint so that we can make sure that it's green as possible. Okay. When Peter was doing sustainability for SAP, very much the acronym that was used was CSR, and now it has changed to ESG. Can you talk a little bit about the that transition? What's the, the big difference you see between CSR and now ESG? Yeah, I, I hear a lot of people when they talk about the what's the difference between sustainability, ESG, CSR, and a lot of people will tie ESG to investors. And now, 
they'll say, well, ESG is just what investors are using now. And that's why it's gained such momentum because now it's tied to investor investor relations and how financially companies are being reviewed. And there's a lot of truth to that. I like the traditional use of the word sustainability, the people, profit, the planet. When you're looking at how you can have synergy across the economic value, the community value, and the environmental value of how your business is run. CSR, while, you know, I think when I look at companies and I see CSR as the driver or CR, you know, corporate Mm -hmm. responsibility, those are usually way more of a volunteerism, community engagement focus versus all of the other pillars. So you'll still see companies that will have like uh, ESG platform, and then they'll have a CR team. And you're like, wait a minute, those should all be integrated. But in their mind, they have kind of siloed out their community engagement, their philanthropy, and they're referring to it as CSR. And then everything else is ESG or sustainability, however they're wording it. So I think for me, the, the word sustainability has probably been so diluted that people were always trying to move to what the next word is. Mm-hmm. CSR was getting used for a while, but then I think it got completely put into that one lane of community and the social lane. And then now it's kind of, again, pivoted to ESG that most people you'll hear uh, refer to it that way. At the end of the day, hopefully people are looking at it holistically and looking at it in an intersectionality perspective and not just parsing out. Because what I am noticing is that If I see a sustainability team, that means they're only focused on environment. And if I see a CSR team, they're only focused on the social. And then who's focusing on the governance? I'm not sure. But if you're really going to drive it across your organization, those things should be integrated. And you should have a holistic approach to how you're pushing this across your teams. Okay. From previous episodes of the podcast, and we're over 100 episodes in now, I've heard anecdotally people say that, the ESG journey leads to greater employee engagement, lower cost of attracting and keeping customers, in, makes investors happy. Is that something that you can concur with? I mean, or do you have any data around that, even better still? Yeah, I absolutely concur with it. I, When I talk about the value of sustainability or the value of ESG, it comes down to that employee attraction and retention Surveys have clearly shown that 70 plus percent of employees are looking for companies that are more sustainable and better stewards, more responsible to society. It helps with differentiating yourself to your customer base because you can, one, show them that they're going to be in partnership with them and helping with any goals they have around climate change, diversity, equity, inclusion, around societal impact or equitable access. If your goals marry to that, then you're helping to differentiate or help to advocate for the people that you're partnering with or the customers that you might do business with. You know, they studies have been said that 70% of consumers are looking for sustainable sustainability within, they don't want to pay more for it at times, but they will. And they are expecting that, you know, the average company has embedded it into its ethos or into its product quality or how you're executing your products or your services. So I absolutely concur with anyone and everyone who talks about sustainability as a value driver and a value differentiator. Okay. And there's a a movement as well now in finance that companies that are engaged in ESG projects are finding capital easier Mm -hmm. or cheaper to access. Has that been your experience as well? 
Yeah, impact investing or sustainability investing and ESG investing is tripled over the past couple of years. You know, the amount of trillions that are pouring into this space is significant. The amount of funds that have been created to solely focus on this space have been significant. And so, yeah, you can't get away from the fact that this is becoming a way to do business and a way to attract investing into your business. So, yeah, we've seen it. The shift has been how significant the shift has been has been kind of amazing to me compared to 10 years ago when I first started in this space to now. Yeah. It's tripled, I think, every single year. I, I would have said particularly in the last two, three years, it's kind of almost gone exponential. It was it was yeah. slow during the teens, but once we hit the, the 20s, it started to really take off. Is, is that is that yeah. just me or do you concur? Oh, it has absolutely taken off. Yeah. Why? And rightfully so. I think it's a fantastic evolution of how we're looking at making sure that companies think more, of it, you know, to put a, a kind of a, a green tax on how businesses think about the future of their funding. And I think it's exciting because you can't escape the responsibility of having to be more committed to making your businesses more sustainable and responsible. And you can either do it from a regulatory perspective or you can do it from a financial perspective. Either way, it's a necessary part of, you know, making sure that we have this shift in how businesses are operating. Okay. It's not just a, 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 another tick box for people to take okay. off. I hope not. Right. <laughs> you know, the, I think there are some that are still trying to pretend that it's not <laughs> coming down the pipeline, but no, it's not a checkbox. And for those who do treat it like just, you know, a way to check boxes and so that they can move on to the next thing, I think they will ultimately have to, they will pay the consequences for it because the more that you prepare yourself and you're proactive in this space, the better you are positioned to have more efficiencies within your business. Your employees are more engaged. The health and wellness of your employees are better off. The communities that you're sewing into will start to reflect that intentional and purposeful interaction. You'll start to see it permeate throughout your business in different ways. And and those are, it's hard to, sometimes you can't quantify that. I think that's where it gets tied up. People try to always quantify some of these sustainability initiatives. And some of them are reputational. Some of them are qualifiable. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure that you give just as much credence to those things that you can't quantify because they can, they might just be protecting you as part of risk management. And do you think this interest that we're, we've talked about that's kind of exponential at the moment versus how it was in the teens, do you think that'll be sustained or do you think it's a flash in the pan? I think it will be sustained because there's so many regulations. You have the new regulations that have just you know, been proposed in the EU. You have the SEC guidelines that are coming down the pipeline. And so whether people are going to proactively go out and do it because it's the right thing to do or be regulated to do it because the governments are getting to the point of requiring, I don't think it's going to go away. I think it will... I think within the next two years, you know, if you're not doing it on your own, you will have to do it in some form or fashion. Okay. Do you ever see it being as reported as rigorously as financial reporting? We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. 
Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the SEC guidelines in January or February when they are proposed. There's a lot of scrutiny around it, of course, because everyone's trying to push back on exactly how will you measure it. And that's where the sustainability becomes a little bit difficult versus, you know, traditional financial reporting is being very clear about how we're going to measure, you know, the requirements. And once that is, I think once that gets developed in more robust, rigorous way, then yeah, I think five, 10 years from now, we will see reporting very similar to the way we do financial reporting. All right. Reporting right now is already very exhaustive (laughs) (laughs) on the sustainability side. Uh Yeah, and, um, and I, I think I think there's a lack of standards at the moment. It's an immature space, so it's it's probably where financial recording or reporting was back maybe in the 20s and 30s, just after the the collapse of Wall Street. So I think things will just have to pick up faster in ESG reporting than they did in financial reporting. Yeah, and that's why there's so much scrutiny around it, it's because the standards are not as formalized as in other spaces you know, what those good look like, how will you measure this? And when you don't have that, but yet you, you have this overarching, these policies that might come down the pipeline, but no one can tell you truly how they're going to be measured and what standards they're going to go by. That creates a little bit of ambiguity, but I do think the intention is there, right? I, you know, the signal is there of what it's trying to drive. So I do think it'll ultimately get flushed out mm-hmm. in the next two years. We'll probably see a little bit more rigor and clarity around what the expectations will be, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope. Fingers crossed, because right now, yeah, that is, if you ask most people, most of my colleagues, our biggest pain point is the reporting part mm. and the lack of continuity around the standards. Right. Okay, interesting. And what about support from the boardroom or support from ground level employees, you know, kind of bottom up versus top down versus everything in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. I've been so blessed here at Genesis. So we have, of course, you know, Tony and Peter who helped help me to advocate from the top. You know, our board is our operating committee because we're privately held. They've been intimately involved in and having conversations and presenting to the board all of our sustainability initiatives and outcomes. And then our employees, we have sustainability ambassadors, over a few hundred employees that have volunteered their time to be ambassadors across the globe. We have chapters. We have a chapter in Manila, a chapter in India. We have a chapter in, of course, the U.S. And then we're creating one in the U.K. of sustainability ambassadors. We also have a great partnership with our Impact Together team on driving community initiatives and volunteerism across the company. And then I have a council of leaders across the company, about 25 different people who did help me with quarterly, you know, making sure that as I'm developing a strategy or we're executing things or we're needing to block and tackle across the organization that they can help with that. So there's engagement across the organization. And we also do something called Sustainability Month in April, where we just take the whole month to just drive sustainability. And our DEI team also has what they call Better Together Conversations Monthly, 
to bring together everyone. And then we have our inclusion groups that are fantastic across the organization that continue to partner and help drive and collaborate. So yeah, we are really over the past two years to see the journey that Genesis has taken to address sustainability and diversity and to engage everyone, all 6,000 plus employees around the globe has been significant. And I've been very proud of the work that we've done. Interesting. And what about your supply chain? Are you working with your supply chain as well? Yes, we are. So, you know, we have constant conversations with our procurement leaders around supply chain. And as most companies, it's the one area that's the hardest to start moving and getting the change in. But we're taking those kind of step change. So, you know, starting with updating all of our vendor code of conduct and all of our policies around supplier diversity and and establishing that. So there's a lot of foundational work that we've been working with them on. And they've been fantastic partners. Just right now, we're kind of developing this roadmap for 2023 of different initiatives we're going to take, creating a pledge around sustainability for our supply chain, you know, looking at how we can you know, look across our tiers so that we can drive transparency, which is what you really need across Mm -hmm. your supply chain. And then, you know, putting together some different projects and business cases with different suppliers. So we, it's an active conversation. It's the the one area that I know needs the most nurturing within our business is our supply chain. But for me, I think the best part is the fact that our leaders on that team are an active participant in the change. Is it's not happening to them, it's happening with them and because of them. Okay. And are you working with other business peers as well, other organizations in a similar space to to share notes, that kind of thing? Yeah, we do get, you know, we're constantly benchmarking and we reach out to peers to ask how they handle certain things. And especially when it came to supplier diversity, there is a few different coalitions that we participate in to survey out. We have very similar supply bases and we'll survey out and get those types of responses back. But yeah, we're constantly trying to keep a pulse of what's happening around us with, you know, companies so that we can, one, make sure that we're staying actively up to date, anything that we need to be aware of, but two, that we're not having to recreate the will. Just like, you know, reporting can be exhaustive. A lot of our supply chain can have survey fatigue. Yeah. And we're conscious of that. And so we do not want to create that. So whether it's using platforms like Ecovatus or CDP or partnering with peer companies to figure out the best way to get the answers we need from our suppliers, we're actively pursuing all of those different avenues. Cool. Cool. We're coming towards the end of the podcast now, Bridget. Is there any question that I haven't asked that you wish I had or any aspect of this we haven't touched on that you think it's important for people to think about? Well, speaking of supply chain, I will say, well, it's not a question, but I guess a question would be like, what are some of those successes that we've had in this past year? And I'll tell you, you know, speaking of the supply chain, when Ecovatus is one of the ratings that people look at for supply chain. And over the past year and a half, we've moved from bronze when what we were not rated when I came, we were bronze within like the first few months. And then today, you know, as of this past month, we just received our gold medal from Ecovatus. Oh, congratulations. You know, thank you. But to go from bronze to gold in a year and a half is significant. And we've seen, and that has a lot to do with our sustainable procurement policies, DE&I, our emissions and our environmental trajectory and our, of course, our governance. And we've seen, we're very proud of that success. And then on, we also just found out we went from a, you know, as a privately held company, 
when I first came into the role, I found out that people were just responding to CDP, not knowing, understanding the consequence. You know, like somebody in the UK would get this survey and we're like, <laughs> and so we were getting these horrible scores. We had a D and I, you know, I had to shut it off and say, no one respond to these types of surveys without sending them to my team. But now that we, you know, have responded, we have went from a D to a B in CDP just within, again, within a year. Wow. So, you know, to have that type of progress, to go from a D to a B, and then to go from a bronze to a gold, I think is proof that we're doing more than just setting goals. We're actually actively trying to be a leader in this space and to bring everyone within Genesis and that partners with Genesis along this journey with us. Just I'll throw another question in because that leads <laughs> that leads to a thought. Lessons learned? Ah, lessons learned. You can't boil the river, right? I mean, we knew that going in, but, you know, we have a very lean team and you have to, to know that sometimes a no means not now. <laughs> right. You know, when I first came in, I had like a 90 day plan and a six month plan of all these things that needed to get done. And we needed to pace and sequence that so that we could, you know, understanding the resource requirements and a lot of this was very new to so many other people that we were partnering with. And so it's just the, the, the need to be agile, flexible, patient, and know that some no's are just not now's. <laughs> All right. Great. Super. Bridget, that's been fascinating. If people would like to know more about yourself or any of the things we discussed in the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? Please come visit us at www.genesis.com slash sustainability and you can find us there. Perfect. Great. Bridget, that's been really interesting. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Okay, we've come to the end of the show. Thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to know more about the Climate Confident podcast, feel free to drop me an email to tomraftery at outlook.com or message me on LinkedIn or Twitter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click follow on it in your podcast application of choice to get new episodes as soon as they're published. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really does help new people to find the show. Thanks. Catch you all next time. Bye.